Well, hello and welcome to episode 172 of the ANF podcast or the Adoption and Fostering podcast or whatever we want to call it these days from the ANF network with me, Scott Cass and Rennie, your man there. Al Coates, how the hell are you? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where I am, what I'm doing. It's the I'm on summer. this podcast, I'm on that podcast, I'm working. I'm away on holiday, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the next thing. I genuinely do not know. And also, you don't have a cap on, so I think that's thrown me. Oh, I can buy my hat. Well, well, no, because normally, like, so we've gone from Marv from Home Alone to not Marv from Home Alone. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Not, not a good look. Not that's a good better. Look. See, that's... Yeah, I've got a life. great face for podcasts. Um, uh, Anywho... How are you, Cozy? I'm all right. I'm I'm like I'm two working days away from my summer holiday, and I do you know what I've realised? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> you say summer holiday, we say still dabbling. Well, no, I've, I'm going to be really good this year because I've I purposefully not booked in any podcast recordings for conversations or anything else. I'm going to get all my editing done. Um, I reflected on how I actually feel about August, and what I've discovered on doing some self-reflection and having a really serious think is that actually I don't like August. And do you know why? Go on. I'm interested uh, to know why. Because August has a real hint of melancholy about it. Mm-hmm. I would kind of agree with that. Mm-hmm. So you've got like May, June is just like, oh, this is the summer. This is it. the long days, that sunny, beautiful. Oh. July is like, oh, it's kind of, oh, right, we're in the summer now. And then August is like, eh, it's going to end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I like September because September feels like, all right, changes are coming, right? Well, I love yeah. September. It's all fresh. It's fresh. Fresh, yeah. Fresh, fresh mornings, crisp. Yes. Something quite nice. But August is melancholy. So I am, so there's a few things I'm doing, and I, I haven't told you this. I've been keeping it secret. No, it's not like... <laughs> that sounds like it's an announcement. It it's not. Who are you to make yourself sound important? Go on. Well, it's, I've, it's, I've just had this desire to walk Hadrian's Wall. Oh, go on. <laughs> You're disappointed by my announcement. No, no, no. Just go on. Crack on. Tell me about so, it, and then I'll so say. I um, and well, the thing is, I've been planning. I've been on and off planning it, and different things happened, and you know, circumstances. So probably this time last year. So this last year's summer holiday, I broke my finger on the first day, and my dog died. You on the did. Last day. We remember it well. It was bleak. A, ugh, ugh, ugh. Bleak holiday, and um, and. I just thought, you know, I, I was thinking about how to plan doing Hadrian's Wall because you can go west to east or east to west. And I live in the east. I live 10 miles from Wall's End, which is, you know, took him ages to think of a name for that place. <laughs> um, so I was thinking in my head that I would go west to east and then finish close to home. And then that would be it. And I'm gonna, I'm not going to do I'm going to do a day at a time over uh, between now and Christmas. And then and I was just kind of like, oh, it doesn't quite fit. And then I had this really. This, so this is where I'm getting a bit metaphysical, a bit existential a bit something and i thought to myself what i really want to do is i want to the idea of starting in wall's end and walking away from home just really connected and that's like that <laughs> <laughs> when i when i said that out loud i realized how it sounded please tell me you said that in an empty room <laughs> i'm in an empty room how to get divorced on a podcast um, 
<laughs> and it just re- it just really connected with me. Um, so I'm going to take Esther, my dog, and we're going to do about 15 miles a day. And we're going to do one mm. at the beginning of all day, one at the end of all day, and then we'll get there with the three done over the next few months. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And that's the, and I'm going to get up early, do it at 6 o'clock. I'll be done by lunchtime, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and well, I'm that's taking interesting. Uh, that is interesting because many moons ago, and I say many moons, <clears throat> I actually signed up to do that walk. Um, believe it or not, for a charity, but it never went ahead. Well, then and I always regret that. I always regret that. There was only five or six years ago. Not going to mention the charity, um, but yeah, it was probably- <laughs> <laughs> home for good. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, never, it never happened. Um, Ooh. I mean. We did. Um, I can't remember why it didn't happen. Anyway, but um, yeah, reg- I, I actually regret that. So um, you do this year, and then maybe in a year's time or two yeah, years I time, mean, you can do it all at once. It's an easy walk. It's not. I mean, it's an iron walk. It's. It's not. I mean, I think it's. If you're not, well, don't walk. It's not an easy walk, but it's not uh, difficult. You know, there's things that connect with you through a lifetime, and there's a book called Ruthless Trust. And I'm going to take it with me and I'm going to stop and read it and have cups of coffee on the way and just really why not? kind of really reset myself because I feel like. Yeah, I feel like it's a time to do that. Lots of changes been. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm gonna spend time with the kids. Um, I'm gonna spend time with mum. She's not very well. So it's it's. I'm actually quite looking forward to it. And um, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do what I usually do, which is like oh, I'll just look at my computer. And um, oh, I'll just because yeah, you are very bad podcast. for that. You are very, very bad, bad for that. You are yeah, very yeah. very bad for that. Yeah, so you might get, but you might get texts from me up a hill, kind of going, "Scott, I have had a thought. Oh, Who no. are we? Why are we?" Anyway, mm. enough of that. But anyway, what are you? You've been away, and you've been busy, and you've been doing, and yeah, it's a summer. This is going to be a long, this is a long episode. This one because we spoke to every browser for an hour. We're going to pluck that in at the end. But Scott, let's just lean into it. Let's just have a long episode. It's the summer episode, Scott. Why not? What have, what have you been up to? How are um, you? <clears throat> how are you really? How, how really? How are you? I'm so going to social work it. How are you really? <laughs> well, I've I've got my, really, my annual, I've got my annual event coming up, haven't I, in September? So I'm really not looking forward to that. Oh. Um, but kind of looking forward to it in the, yeah. at the same time because I get f- three four days on my back, um, and um, after it. So um, essentially, that's my annual checkup. So I. Yeah. Anyway, it is like an MOT. It's like a it like literally a is. It's an MOT, MOT on my brain it? to make sure that it's all still there. And of course, you know what? You do kind of like. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about the actual procedure. I'm just worried afterwards. You might say, actually, there's a little snag here. Um, and you know that that that's kind of my worry. But anyway, um, I'm I am looking forward to having my feet up for a few days. So. <laughs> um, and it. I mean, it's been a quiet summer, which it normally is for organisations like ours, because obviously people yeah. are on holiday. You know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, so we're we're take, making the most of it, taking opportunities. Um, it's still been busy because obviously we do we do this podcast, as you will know, because you are here most of the time. Um, the FSD Ireland podcast, um, that second episode went out today, um, which was an interview with Jacob, but I wasn't involved in it, which was quite interesting. Listen back. Um, I love the way his accent transitioned from oh, thick, I thick know, broke hilarious. Back to it was hilarious, yeah. And and what was, what is interesting because obviously Rob has left us as a team member now, and but he still wants to do elements of the podcast, and 
Um, we're going to lose that. But it's because Rob was there that he went into this deep kind of Irish kind yeah, of, was... I don't know. But then he soon came out of it. And he's By the end of it, he sounded completely English again. So it's quite funny. It's a chameleon, um, that boy. Is he, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But um, yeah, so, um, but things like, you know, he turned 17, he's yeah. passed his theory test. We applied that's come through uh blah, blah. yeah so my baby isn't a baby anymore um so it's a it's yeah. a, a summer of transitions for us as well you know because we're now getting to that and he's in his last year of school this year and then hopefully he'll go off to university or do whatever he wants to do and yeah so um it's it's yeah. kind of one of those those summers where you just think Ugh, because it's been going on since like 2021 because you are school holidays so long. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, they're three years long at this stage. Um, <laughs> and he goes back for two hours on the 28th in the afternoon. And then he goes back a couple of days later properly. And I'm just like, what's the point in that? What is the point? What's the point? But just to allay the, the young people's fears and just to, just to jet, let them in gently. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, I think that's what it is. So, yeah, but all good otherwise. All good. Excellent. So, um, very ruefully, um, we arranged a podcast with Avery Bowser on off the back of the book, um, The Future of Children, Social Care. And ruefully, because you weren't able to attend at the last moment, your circumstances overtook you. They did. We, we made, you made the executive decision for us to proceed bravely without you. And can I just say, in case Avery is listening, um, always wanted to talk to him, but never had the opportunity now still don't have the opportunity so there you go and i always just say it's funny because could i just tell a little story here about the word avery when i used to work in retail that's all i could think about because avery is the name of weighing scale so when i saw when i used to see the name avery bowser on twitter i used to think he was a pair of weighing scale i didn't really but it just kind of there's link in my... mm. uh, before we sorry go avery. On any further it's he'd be fine yeah He's got broad shoulders. And um, before we go on, Scott, you about three weeks ago, you messaged me and you went, I'm laughing. I've just remembered something that I need to share on the podcast. And I said, write it down. And you went, I'll write it down. So what is it? I can't remember. You idiot. I knew you would do that. I I did put it in the notes, didn't I? Yeah. What was it? I don't know. But shall I you you look for it and I'll tell you whilst I'll let you multitask. Um so I'll try. I'm not going to go through what we talked about with Avery, but it was off the back of that. Um, there's a couple of reflections and things I wanted to kind of, that came away from me. And I do mention it in the interview. One was that really this sense of us, the review of children's care, really missing the ball for adoption, actually. And it was mm-hmm. off the back of the question, the chapter that Avery had written in the book. Um, if adoption is the quest, is the adoption is the answer, what is the question? And it really made me think that actually, have we come to a point where we're actually saying that the review of children's social care is kind of just a dud? It's just a dead in the water. That is it going to? You're pulling a face there as you're looking well, at that. You're well, reading your notes, um, and so it really made me think about that. And uh, we sort of do chat about that um, as well as other things. But then this sort of, uh, and it linked back to what we'd said to Paul Shuttleworth a few weeks earlier when he, we, he was talking about his chapter. So firstly, we need to get John Radu on to talk about his chapter because he did fostering. But then um, mm-hmm. this idea that how do we then lobby the incoming government to actually get something 
that's meaty because it feels like up till now it's just all been a bit piecemeal. It's all been a bit meh. And then out of the blue, Scott, I got an email. Oh, it's my Friday evening email from Home oh. for Good. <laughs> Wasn't that a wonderful segue? Um, and they were sort of they. <laughs> <laughs> so I've stopped answering them because I think I was I was causing genuine distress amongst the the comms team. That's probably why uh, they've never agreed to come onto the podcast since um, Mr. Kandaya yeah, well, finished up. I can honestly say that after the next five minutes, they may not come on ever because I'm feeling quite. I felt quite irked by the whole thing. So they were looking to they were make, giving us notification that they'd. They were starting a campaign in terms of asking the incoming government to lobby the incoming government, whoever they are, whoever wins. Um, to, to sort of commit to seeing change from the top down, sparking systemic improvements and actually to lobby. And so they've got what they've described as five acts, asks, sorry, five asks. So shall I go through the five asks for you, Scott? And you can tell me what you Ooh. think about them. Would you like me to comment on each one as you go? Or, or? If you could do that, yeah. And again, this, yeah. I mean, so oftentimes we do sit on the fence. I sit on the fence, I know you do, but I think we just, we can speak fence. honestly. I, never I do fence. sit on the fence. Yeah, I do sit on the fence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of feel like that, the stakes are really high, and I think Home for Good is an organisation that's got a huge influence, and um, they've pulled together all party select uh, party all party parliamentary select groups, haven't they? Um, and not and just on their own, not just on their own, but yeah. yeah but they've active secretariats, and they've also funded that, so they've got influence, and they've got they're kind of well connected into different people who are influential in the sector, like MPs and the like. So the first ask is to raise the profile, encourage the use of supported lodgings for children activate local authorities to commission services and encourage members of the public to come forward as hosts so that teenagers in care are no longer housed in appropriate accommodation i don't have a problem with that bit vague yeah i'd agree with that yeah yeah um right this is the next one so we might so everyone who's enjoyed the podcast up to now in all of the things we've done i if this means that you have to then no longer listen to us that's fine um Ask to statutory adoption pay for self-employed adopters. Has that not been done somewhere else? And what has that got to do with Home for Good? Confused. Well, I think it's a it's an interesting issue because I think that it is an it's an issue of equality. I don't think it's an issue of oppression. I think it's an issue of that there are thirteen percent of the population are self-employed, or thirteen percent of the working population are self-employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think right, you're a national charity and you're picking up this as an issue. Um, I did some really basic maths, maybe 300 people a year, three, 350, whatever. That's, well, 390 would be 30% of the number of 3,000 adoptions a year. And I just think to me, this is an issue of equality and we should absolutely have equality, but actually it is an issue that we should be putting huge amount of resources in and lobbying government for. Is it? No, I, I, I can see your point with that because actually if you're lobbying a new government, which is likely to be, let's be honest, likely to be the same government, is it? Then um, surely you need to be kicking a little bit higher than, and and no offence to anybody who's self-employed. This is absolutely Absolutely. nothing against you. Um, We we know we get it. Um, And to be honest, having been self-employed and being an adoptive parent, it's not easy, but um, this is, not something that affects the majority of families that come through the adoption system. So for for me, for a national charity to be, no. Ooh. I guess the thing for me is it feels a little bit disingenuous to say that. And it, I absolutely think there should be equality. And I think yeah, that it's a, it's a, it, it's a, it, 
I think it's a bit of a bureaucratic round robin because this department says it's us and it's them and the other department says it's them. But they it's, always so it do that. It's actually they BS, that. all that stuff, isn't it? Just it work is, together. Yeah. Work with the other departments to get it sorted. Yeah. There you go. There's a solution. Yeah. And, uh, and for me as well, the, the con- the, it's been equated actually with the number of children waiting. And I think that actually that this isn't, this, this isn't the reason why people aren't adopting. <laughs> I think it may be for a very it's... small number of people. Um, yeah. uh, but it's a tiny number. And this, this isn't the issue that's going to fix the other issues. So uh, that's complicated. People may have very strong feelings about that. And if you're a self-employed adopt, uh, prospective adopter, you will have a strong feeling about that. Yeah. And absolutely, you should have equality. But should a national charity with influence and money be making this kind of a flagship part of what they want to do? I don't know, right? So we're all going well in with Home for Good. They're never coming on. And um, but they can come on and tell me I'm an idiot. That's fine. Well, we'd have them back on to tell us we're idiots, wouldn't they? Wouldn't we? Well, to tell you you're an idiot, but not me. Well, that's, yes. I'm not an idiot, but yeah. I mean, Well, I just have to yeah. be on social media to discover that's an ongoing, <laughs> an ongoing um, I think it's a thread. So it's just kept going for years. I um, keep. I, I've actually got a Google alert on that for Twitter. With, with the words are used. Yeah. For me, not you. No, just you. Yeah. Why would I be <laughs> mentioned? I'm very rarely on there these days. Is that like sport for you to see what people are? <laughs> absolutely. Honestly, some of the mentions are just absolutely amazing and hilarious. <laughs> Why would you do that? That's like a That's perverse. Fun. It's like a sport. It's like a sport. You're honestly. a sick, sick man. That's hilarious. What they're saying about him now. Mm, yeah. Quite true there. <laughs> well, it saves <laughs> me going looking. It saves me going looking. So I, I just get a notification and an email. Yeah, yeah, get, they've got a point there, mind. Yeah, you can't absolutely. argue with that. <laughs> no, you can't. I'll, I'll mention that in the next podcast. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, ask three is engage, increased engagement with faith groups involved in children's social care. Again, that feels really vague because you get it's one phone call and they've increased engagement. So I feel like... Um, Improve the experience of sorry. surely, surely home for good is a faith group. I yeah. and, and you know yourself that we we've had this discussion many times in the past about faith and belief and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, now my impression is that faith groups would work together in the same way that other groups with a similar interest or something common would would work together. So why is that in a kind of almost like a manifesto thing? Of I don't understand. Well, I think that faith there's a is there a something like a third of people who would adopt and foster have a faith or would describe themselves as having a faith of some sort. And I think right. that's probably an overrepresentation within the that community because it the the idea of supporting children who don't have parents or can't live with their parents is it's a it's a bullseye, isn't it, into a kind of that mm. faith values value system. And there's an element of it being a you shooting fish in a barrel. I I could stand up in front of a a hundred Christians, and I could, I could get a message that would really hit home in terms of their core value base. Um, and that's not to be dismissive, and that's and that maybe sounds a little bit cynical. Maybe it is, but um, but I think that that's great. You know, I, I work with people with faith. I am a person of faith, um, yeah. and so I'm. Yeah, that's fine. But it feels like it feels like that's a really vague aim. <laughs> I just think, come on. Specifics. Yeah. Let's be really specific. In and yeah, let's aim let's a little bit higher. Absolutely. And aim higher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. I was thinking, well, why don't Home for Good become a foster care agency? Because that would be the natural or adoption agency. Yeah, 
but that's difficult, isn't it? That's complicated. Um, ask four, improve, improve the experience of prospective foster carers. Um, interrogate and address the driving factors that result in 99% of people who inquire about fostering dropping out of the approval process so that the urgent need for more fostering households can be met. Well, the government are doing that anyway. <clears throat> see, see that, that seems to me to be something that, that's not there. Um, maybe it is, I don't know. Well, this in the 99% of review. inquiries of people with faith who inquire about adoption, or are they talking generally? Generally, generally, yeah. yeah. So that's, but yeah, that's, that's I mean, the, the government are doing something. I think they put outside well, £2 million for a northeast a, a recruitment hub um, mm-hmm. that's, that's across the agencies in the northeast. Um, uh, and I think that's due to start in September. That is going to be trialed for a year. And I think there's, there's, um, how I know this, I'm not sure, but there's going to be a uh, study into this. I- I'm not involved at the moment. <laughs> that that I makes a change. You've normally got your nose into it. Fingers me. in pies, me. Um, and <laughs> so that is, um, that that's addressing exactly that, isn't it? And I think mm. that, well, okay, so, right, okay. And, and you're right. This has been, this has been addressed by others. So why? Oh, are we just being in, awful to home oh. for good? I don't understand it. I, I I don't understand the the lack of um now what is it that what's the word that I would use to describe this? The lack of kind ambition. of determination and what did you say? Ambition. That bit. Well ambition, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Home for good used to be an organization that wanted to do things. This just to me just seems like, oh well, we'll just sit here and we'll say what we want. But I hope to God something like Adoption UK doesn't come up with the uh, pardon the pun. See what you did. But I hope someone like Adoption UK doesn't come out with a similar kind of thing because otherwise, what what what's the point? You know, there is nothing in there about the what the kind that of. That's a good question. Then what would you what would you if you if I said to you you've got to come up five? I'll say the last ask and then you've got to yeah come go up on with, yeah sorry. right okay the last one is uh, increased data collection to monitor patterns of racial disparity. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a real, it's a real issue, isn't it? I know. Yeah, it's a real issue, but also it's something else that's been addressed. So, I, the fact that you've just said that fifth one there, it leads me to believe that there's something, someone else behind this, because Ooh. we know. Well, wow. Well, let's 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 be blunt about it. Krish Kandaya um, was the wasn't he, didn't he head up uh, some racial disparity group or something like that? Well, yeah, that was one of his specific goals. And I think that had been set by yes. the government. And so, one of the reasons he was recruited, because that was something that obviously yeah. connected. So that says to me that he's having, yeah. he's back having an influence for home for good. But, but the rest of them don't make sense to me because they're not, they're not ambitious enough for an organisation well, like Home for Good. Yeah. Or is it because they've lost a bit of a, a, a grasp over what's going on now? You know, I know Ooh. myself. Go back, go back four years, five years. There were some great people there. Um, somehow, for some reason, they're no longer there. Who knows why? Um, we know that Home for Good are funded. A, a majority of them, their kind of income comes from the uh, Church of England. We know that. Uh, and and giving. And I think that a lot of people yeah. in the community, church faith community give a lot of money. So I think that's... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I personally don't have an issue with um, with 
kind of the faith side of it. You you and I have talked about this in, well, in some length anyway. I know people that do, especially from my community, because obviously the LGBTQIA yeah. plus community, whatever, um, heavily impacted over the years by the church and, and what it stands for, etc. And, and even today, you know, not that long ago, Sandy Toxvic put out, you know, a request to Justin Welby to ask him to meet her and blah, blah, blah. Um, but this just seems like a wasted opportunity. If you've got that funding coming from these organisations, the Church of England, all that sort of stuff, why would you not use it to your advantage and aim higher, absolutely aim higher? We know what the issues are. We know where the issues are. Um, do you know what? The Church of England could be bloody paying for the Adoption Support Fund um, to guarantee it rather than buggering about and, you know, and again, yep. this isn't this isn't a criticism of anybody with faith. This is just me thinking out loud and saying, yeah. the Church of England could be paying for that rather than paying for five very small asks. However, the other thing I say is, if it wasn't for Home for Good, then the Church of England probably wouldn't be as heavily involved in funding an organisation that actually supports people who foster, yeah. adopt, etc. But yeah. And it's not to downplay the work that they do in that sort of ground level support um, of, fam- of families in, in communities uh, who are fostering and adopting. Um, but I think that the, the the lobbying arm needs to get some teeth. Because I was thinking, right, okay, if you, off the top of my head, if I could, if I could have an ask, what would what would you ask for? Yeah. What, so, well, what uh, would you, give, so as as somebody yeah. with faith who would potentially use Home for Good as so well, you have done in the past because you've, I mean. God, we've both spoken at their um, what's it, annual thing, Bob. I can't remember. Yeah, I didn't get it. invited back though, and I swore on stage. No, yeah, so... you didn't. But as someone with faith <laughs> and someone who is that way inclined, yeah, who but, who are misses, what what would what would you ask if home for good be? My faith. But, but, yeah, my faith has nothing to do with that. My ask would be informed by what I know of the system. Is that I would say, can we right? If I'm going to aim high, I would say yeah. that can we have a can we have a legislative change in terms of and this is touched upon in the interview with Avery Bowser. If we want looking for something really specific, is the right to an assessment should be married with a, a right to have those needs met. So we've got that under the adoption, 2004 Adoption Children Act. Mm-hmm. It says you have a right to an assessment of need, but there's no right to meet that need. Bang on. Mm-hmm. I would then say, right, in terms of supporting adult adoptees, I would say that really aligns with my sense of faith in the sense of it's, a, it's an issue of injustice, historic yeah. injustice. I would say that then we would campaign to have people who have uh, adult adoptees experienced adoption, that they would have a uh, open door to advocacy and support in accessing their, um, their records and lifetime of support. Like, like, like it's not, been released yet but when the irish we talked about what happened in ireland and there's like an open it's a blank check if you've been if you were adopted the door is open and it will be open until Mm. until every single one of you is dead which sounds a bit brutal but that's what they're saying that's true yeah and that's just two um Mm. i would i think the one that you said which kind of like actually said the ASF is guaranteed for the term of the next parliament. Yeah. There's yeah. there's other priorities, isn't there? And I think the reason I put that to you was because obviously, well, potentially Home for Good is something that you might have used, your family might have used 
in terms of no, you we know, didn't. Honestly, I'm as welcome. Well, no, I know, but you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying because you've got, you know me. If I was to have faith, I'd be struck down by lightning and bloody roofs have caved in when I've walked into them. So you know, that's that's kind of. That's, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that insurance policy was a cracker, but yeah, it's. It, I just, I just believe if you're a national organisation, charity, whatever you are, um, and you have influence, then you should use that influence for to aim high. You need to aim high. You need to, you know, and and I think that's maybe what yeah. has changed there. I, 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 again, don't know the setup. Used to be quite, quite close yeah. to home for good actually. And as someone, you, you know yourself. I probably have faith somewhere deep inside me, but realistically, not really, not 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 kind of visible, and not you know something that I would sit and ponder You're about. Spiritual? Shall we call you spiritual? I don't know if we could. Yeah, I mean, I like spirits in cocktails, so I, I don't know if that's the same thing. Um, but my point is, <clears throat> um, having worked alongside some, well, worked alongside Home for Good a couple of years ago some great people there finding a kind of a common theme with them and stuff like that. And us all saying the same thing to going quite basic, quite basic. So, you know, yeah. I think what you said was interesting that what will home, will adoption UK be doing the same? Cause we had mm. Hugh on and if people want to go back and listen to that episode where Hugh sort of laid out what had happened prior to the 2010 election, where adoption UK whole just worked hand in glove with the conservatives in terms of supporting yeah. of building yeah. that are adoption UK doing that now yeah or is or has, has adoption had it stay in the sun the other ask I would have is in relation to maintaining family links and contact which <laughs> he said he said cunningly there's a conference on the 20th of September which you were invited to but you can't make and um, and um which is by the National Adoption Strategic Board which has got open access tickets so if people want to we'll put the link in the bio so you people can look at that but issues around maintaining family links i would say that you know there's add some leverage to what the community is saying yeah Get and some the thing is they've been wow, i mean i'm not going to i'm not going to sit here and slag them off because that's not fair but they've been secretariat on the appbg for a good couple of years now they that's know gone, what's going it? on it's, that's gone yeah i know but they, but they were so they know yeah, what's they going were. on yeah you know so oh, use your knowledge well if anyone is in, listens and you're involved with Home for Good, you're, the door is open and come back and tell us we're wrong. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Tell it. You give help us make sense of that because I don't. We do. It is. You know. It's easy for us to kind of like do you down without a, a sense of defense. And people can. I'll put the link into the. <laughs> He's good the at link that. In the bio. I, well, yeah, I am good at that. But I, to be honest, I've fallen out with someone before the podcast came on, so I've got all this up to. Somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. It's a long story. I'll not bore you with it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Oh. Um, you so know who you are personally fell out with you knew who you are um, it's all good um, but I just think it, it's, um, this is the moment where we we you know to, like, the, as they say you aim for the stars and you hit the moon yeah you, exactly yeah yeah. and and let's be honest about it right now yeah I mean you know the country I, I don't live there right but the country you know there's so much wrong and yeah God, just do you know what we should do? This. Do you know what we should do? We should wrestle up our own asks. We let's should do it. Should right, we set up our own political party, the ANF Network Party? Our political action group, our PAC, um, and we'll get funding. We'll form a people's army and overthrow the state. 
How fabulous. I'm sure it would work. Yeah, but that'd <laughs> fill the bank holiday weekend in, wouldn't it? Um, but, I mean, even the stuff around, you know, the Fiona Wells and the stuff around dis- adoption disruption and the, mm-hmm. the all that stuff, you go, yeah. oh, come on, let's... let's. Yeah. A long time ago, at the very beginning of our journey into adoption, uh, there was kind of a pivotal moment in our faith life. Um, and someone... Uh, someone really close to me who close to me now, but at the time was just someone I knew an acquaintance. And she said, mm. you know, faith is about, she sort of I put this challenge about faith is meant to people with faith are meant to have dirty hands. This idea of, are you prepared to have dirty hands? And I think that we need to, from a faith perspective, we need to embrace the ugly issues, the issues that are messy, the issues that don't wrap up nicely, nicely and neatly. We need to, you know, we need to get, soil under our fingernails and say well actually this is a messy issue you know wh- how are we what if we're talking about social right you are get uh, i'm right this is it it's all coming up the feelings right the issue for me is well it. if this is about if we're talking about faith and about social justice we're talking about the, the birth parents lifetime support for birth parents let's let's aim for the start now you could argue that they shouldn't get it but you could also argue from a faith and a justice point of view, you know that the families that our children come from are families that are, that have had complicated lives and are often young people and parents who should have had support before. The, 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 inter, the interconnectivity of poverty and children's social care, that's where we should be looking at. And that isn't popular. That isn't nice. That's not all, no, right. you know, that's yeah. not all fluffy and frothy and pleasant. It's murky, but if we're talking about social justice, if we're talking, if you know, from a faith perspective, if if your God is a God of justice, then it, you know you just have to read the Gospels to see that Jesus is he was down with the people who no one else wanted to be down with. You know, he was the one talking to the taxpayers and the drunkards and the prostitutes. He was the one. He was the first at the party. Mm. So this feels like uh, we're just we're just smoothing. It feels like it's nice stuff. It's tickling the ears. Let's get dirty. Let's yeah, get our absolutely. fingers dirty. I know you. Sorry, I feel like I've totally. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Totally. I feel like you just described us. Damn the drunkards and the taxpayers and the prostitutes. There's a reason I'm your friend, Scott. <laughs> it's about my well, like you said, if anybody feels that we've we've bashed home for good, then by all means. Shout, contact us, prove us, you know, tell us that we're wrong, and you know, um, more than happy to, to, yeah, and you know, like I say, as someone who doesn't really think of themselves as having faith, although it's probably deep down there somewhere, um, <clears throat> you know, like you say, social justice that's the thing here, isn't it? You know, and if we can't all work together to get that, then you know, we're, we're kind of. Yeah, we're only dabbling. We're only dipping our toe, and we need to literally throw ourselves into that big pool and yeah. just crack on. Oh, um, I need to go on some sort of pilgrimage. I, think, I was going to say, I think you need to go and have your blood pressure checked because you're looking a bit red on the screen there. But it's know. hot. Um, but it, it just <laughs> that is, you know, I, I guess I don't talk much about myself, but my faith is I don't go to church very much because my kids bite the edge of pews. Um. So we, um, but that's the experience of a lot of families who have faith who then have children who have got complicated stories. Yeah. They're not welcome in church, and Absolutely. all of that sort of stuff is. It's 
not necessarily our personal experience, but that. Like, yep. And I just think, right, we're, if we're going to do this, we're not going to pay lip service to it and just become this really pleasant, nice thing. Let's let's get dirty. Let mm. Home for Good do an amazing work with families. Let's but let their political let their political and campaigning arm be something that's spiky and. Fight, the fight, things fight, that fight, no one's fight, saying. Fight. Yeah, fight, fight, fight. Anyway, yeah. um, sorry, Avery, you've probably been listening going, when is it going to get to me? When is he? He's Because he probably will have listened to all this way, bless him. Mm. Um, so shall we whack Avery on? And um, uh, Scott, I hope you have a wonderful summer. What's left of it? Well, now that I've been speaking to you for the last hour and you've you've got my blood boiling, yeah, I'm going to have a fabulous summer. Yeah, thanks for that. It's nearly at an end. School's back next week. <gasps> five days, <gasps> five days. Just five more days. Five more days. Five more days. Five more days. Excellent. Well, Scott, as always, look after yourself. You remain in the the top ten or twelve favourite people that I know. Um, (laughs) And it's been, and as always, the pleasure was all yours. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. (laughs) Yeah, I think we've lost some friends. I'd say you've lost some friends. I lose nobody because I don't have any friends. (laughs) Well, today we're speaking, well, not we, but Scott was meant to be with me. Today I'm speaking to Avery Bowser and Avery's written a chapter in the wonderful book, The Future of Children's Care. So Avery, I invited you on, we invited you on because you wrote this wonderful chapter about adoption. So could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Because you've got, you know, this isn't, you've got skin in this game. And um, tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote this chapter on adoption. Um, well, I'm a, a social worker and I'm a fostering services manager for Action for Children in Northern Ireland. So I'm responsible for our services there, making it clear at the beginning that I'm not speaking on behalf of Action for Children today. <laughs> um, Very clear. But, uh, you know, but even actually, so that's been a theme actually for, for me through a lot of things that went, I mean, this book was obviously a slight response to the, uh, more than a slight response to the McAllister review, but I mean, I think things around Nolan principles and transparency are really important. So yeah, I am. I do work in fostering, and I work for uh, a charity, um, and I'm a social worker. Um, I'm also an adoptive parent, um, right. which was you know part of what I was bringing to it. Um, yeah, um, I should also say I'm an active Basel member as well and sit on the Basel Northern Ireland Committee. So, you know, right. there was a few pieces there. And I mean, that, you know, the art that goes to some of the stuff and that's the article because um, some of it comes from, well, well, the ask from the wonderful editors, Christian and Robin, was, you know, to do something around adoption, you know, and particularly in relation to the McAllister Review and take that as a launch point. Uh, but when I started to think about it and look at it, I, you know, reference key reference point for me was the work that Reach Featherstone and Anna Gupta did for Basma yeah. around the, the, that adoption inquiry, and of course they are co-authors in 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 this book. Um, and yeah, it was, um, you know, I was in, I was like part of focus group in that review. Um, a lot of the discussions were very, very rich that I was involved in, and they stuck with me. Um, and I felt like it was a start of a conversation. And mm-hmm. this was another opportunity to kind of say, well, where might we go from here? And again, well, it's, we may come back to this. The real, and I actually, when you look at the book, there's a few parts of it where some of us are saying, 
quite surprisingly, the McAllister Review was really silent on this topic when it was supposed to be, <laughs> you know, once in a generation, deal with yeah. everything. And and this one particularly because, and, and uh, you'll know better than I, because again, this is, the, and being honest, you know, look, I'm, I'm sitting in Northern Ireland, despite the accent, you know, so England isn't the place I work, although obviously you kind of know what's going on, but you'll have much clearer idea of just how, the extent to which um, adoption has been viewed as the gold standard and yeah. the centre of conservative policy, certainly in that sort of 2010, maybe to 2015 Absolutely, window. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, and the legacy that's left. So, yeah, um, yeah so that, that that was kind of where the response comes. And that's a, a little bit about who I am. And as you can hear, um, I do not have the strongest Northern Ireland accent going. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I grew up in London, um, but I've been here... Ooh, it's getting close to forty years. So, um, you know, I've wow. basically spent my I spent my adult life here, um, and working in children's services and working mostly in the voluntary sector. And I guess that I feel like there should be a caveat or a sort of a health warning on this because we, you and I, are sort of living parallel lives in that I am yeah, a, yeah. I'm a social related. worker. Not really. We're both bearded, kind of thinning men. We're both. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Doing I'm, it on, I'm on Zoom's the... a bit a bit scary because you kind of go, it oh. is. Which is my which is my picture. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit scary. We're both adoptive parents. We're both involved in Basra. We're both on. on I, I got. I was involved in the Basra, um, the Bridge Featherstone and Anagupta um, kind of review report on adoption. Yeah. So, so my, if you're wanting to criticise this this conversation, this it's a pretty big target. You know how it's, wide and broad is it? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and, and it's a conversation between you know, it's just an echo chamber. Yeah. Um, but and yeah, and given 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 that we have only known each other through Twitter until this point, you know, <laughs> yeah. this could be this could be very dull. But we'll we'll, yeah. we'll work on that. We'll try and stretch out yeah. the the bounds of it. Um, so I mean, I would recommend people go and read the Basra report by Anna Gupta and uh, Bridge Featherstone because I think oh, that is really a fantastic good. start point. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I was what I was wanting to do, well, I read I got the I bought my cut off a copy of the book, unlike Scott, who got the chapter sent to him for free. But yeah, that we're not we're not gonna raise that too much. And no. the thing that really knocked the spots off me, and I and I have to say I'm I'm almost embarrassed to say this, is that I came away from it and, and I got halfway through the first page and this sort of this penny dropped and I thought all of the things that I've thought about adoption and all of the things that I've wrestled with through my own experience as an adoptive parent um, were just not even slightly touched by the review. And I'd not, the penny hadn't dropped that they just accepted the status quo. They'd not reviewed it at all. And so I feel I'm almost embarrassed to have, to have just took having to read your book to say that. And, but, have I missed something? Was it? I don't know. Well, Was it in the terms? Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't do that kind of an embarrassing thing where you refer to other podcasts that you've been on. But I mean, in in a way, um, that was you know because when we did the sort of podcast to sort of promote the book uh, with Robin and Christian, that was kind of the, Christian put that question out. You know, like so, Avery, why why do you think they ducked it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a bit in the chapter as well because I go well it's really it's a really good question and I'm not and I don't have any inside track on that you know I can only I can only look at it and, and guess and, and I and I do have some thoughts and I suppose I mean I think I start off the chapter by saying like adoption's contentious go figure you know um, we know that and and I suppose that's the 
again, you go back to the Cameron era and that pushing of adoption. It was everybody like in the know and in the business like ourselves was going, are you kidding? It's not, it can't yeah. be all those things. It isn't all those things. It's actually, even before we go to expand it, it's really difficult. And there's things you probably need to reconsider rather before go and say, take this thing as it is and just, you know, spread it out. I mean, I think there's also, I mean, look, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very publicly on record as a critic of the McAllister review from the outset and, and yeah. the appointment uh, of Josh McAllister and, you know, and the way it was structured and its over ambition. And, you know, you would, it would lead you to look at this and think, well, you know, maybe there was a very serious knowledge and expertise gap in this area. Um, I also wondered in the chapter, you know, that, I mean, some of the public comments from others who've been associated with the stuff over the year, you know, had had they had the penny dropped from them that actually this yeah. can't deliver all the things they've said, and this they're just quietly pushing it to the side. Um, I mean, I think there's a whole thing. Actually, when you read the whole book, um, you know, there's some recurring themes here that go back to kind of big society ideas, and and they're kind of rehashed a bit. I think in the McAllister review of like. You know, let's not merely yeah. sub subcontract out to the big private equity boys, but let's you know, let's go back to the public and help them get us out of this financial hole we're in by doing stuff for free out of the goodness of their heart. You Which know? is adoption. Which is adoption, yeah, and is special guardianship, yeah, and yeah. is uh, residence or child arrangement orders or whatever new fancy version of that we're going to come up with or. Um, you know, and that's, and I, and I suppose, and that's, that's also, and I suppose that's where the personal really comes in and, and it's fueled as particularly as a social worker, I think, and being on the other side of the table and, you know, realizing what the resource desert looks like. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sitting in Adoption UK meetings, um, you're probably familiar with Adoption UK support groups where, where the coordinator has very usefully spent a lot of time booking somebody to come and speak, and you you don't you get um, like through fifty minutes later of introductions when everybody's you know basically done support group task and the person's now got ten minutes to deliver what they came to talk, <laughs> but you'd you'd be sitting there and and everybody'd be looking at you knowing you were a social worker and thinking, God, if you can't get support, what what, what hope is there for us? You know. Um, yeah, and and that's um, yeah, and and it's and it's really it's really underhand. It's, yeah, it's the, it's about the night. I, I said I'd try and be nice. You know, it's it's about, the, it's about it. Really is you know. I mean, it's a it's a it's it's welching. You know, um, you know, and I mean that's about. And I think that's the nerve it hits with lots of things around, you know, so, you know, what is the social contract in the society we live in? And adoption is one symptom of that, I think, you know, it's, um, yeah. So that, uh, I think those are kind of, if, you, if you're looking for the analysis of why, <laughs> well, uh, why I might have said what I said and went for what I went, well, the, you know. No, I mean, I'm, I'd encourage people to read it and um, because I think that to buy the book and read it, because I think it, it's a really accessible chapter. You, you give a history of, you you, you you put it in the context of the review, but then you give a history of adoption. And it really made me think that perhaps that adoption is so woven into our culture, you know, from a faith perspective, from a historical perspective, that almost it's 
is it almost like a sacred sacred cow that we can't question? And that is why that it was maybe that maybe there was no nefarious plot by the review, but just they didn't see it. That they mm-hmm. just it wasn't even they just in the midst of all mm-hmm. that they were doing, like you're saying, the overreach, that they just didn't say, Oh well, yeah, adoption's fine, but we need to maybe do something around contact, which is con yeah, contact. Yeah, well, there was a fair, I think that felt like fig leaf. It was very tokenistic. And even that, I mean, you know, start. it's like um, it's like a cliche, or maybe there's a digital solution for that. And I thought, you know absolutely nothing about the complexity of contact in adoption. Um, yeah. and, and I'm not even talking about, and I'm, uh, you know, talking about contact with siblings. And you know the complexity of siblings who are maybe across different types of placement at different times, siblings that are full siblings, siblings that are half siblings, you know, and 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 also realizing like in you know uh, the sheer lack of resource that's available to support that. Yeah, it's not an easy. To, yeah, look, uh, I, my wife and I certainly went into this with um, you know very open to contact and, and all that kind of stuff but it's not it's not straightforward you can you can have that attitude but you can and and think yeah you know you're not in that i suppose that was our childhood with the history you know we all know the old mindset of the closed adoption and you know yeah. the pretending that this child was born to you in some way maybe not even telling the child you know we're well past that but the idea that there's some easy kind of relationship connection out here to be done in in all the midst of this um you know that's that's just magical thinking. Um, and, and for it to really work very often, it needs a lot of support and it needs skilled support. And again, I don't, yeah. I don't see any evidence of anybody jumping forward to, to pay for that or to value that or, or to or value what that means to the adoptees. Um, and I suppose, I, I suppose that's the other thing I was trying to, I mean, I, I went into write the chapter with a little bit of trepidation Um because again, I mean, like following you on Twitter and you know some of the debates that get going, and you know, there's a lot of adoptee anger out there across generations. You know, yeah, some of it, shall we say, some of it very righteous because of you know, and again, the specs, you know, children basically being, you know, taken from their homes and, and stuff like that. And I think I think you were yeah. just the other day there was an article you were kind of. Um, post, you know, reposted there that that told exactly that kind of story from Bangladesh. Um, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and that's not that is sadly not um, an uncommon story. Um, you know, and and for me, like living here, tied up with things like you know the laundries and children sent abroad, and uh, just reading another thing on the television the last night of you know what was done with Aboriginal children in. In Australia, you know, I mean, you know, we're we're replete with horror stories about how we've, you know, treated children as property, and um, so yeah, so um, in the things that we don't value as a society, of which there are many, I don't think we value and don't put our money where our kind words might be around meeting the needs of adoptees in terms of contact with their family and supporting mm. that. And that's not, and I suppose, in, uh, you know, and, and I suppose that was the other thing I was trying to tackle head on. Cause again, there's a, there's a lot of anger sometimes at adopters and, um, and due to the adopters who do maltreat children 
you know, and that does yeah. happen um, even now. Um, you know, but you know, the rest of us are kind of working in with what we're working in, and I think a lot of us are probably open to the idea of a modern model of adoption. And I suppose that was the crossover for me because basically the kind of fostering I do um, amounts to quasi adoption. So, and you can see what's possible when there's support and there's intensive support, and that continues over over years. And you see the, you know. You see the kind of good and open-hearted spirit of, of people who provide alternative care for other people's children and who are willing to say, well, if there can be, a, I want to support a relationship if it can happen, you know? Mm. And then equally also do the right things when, you know, uh, which is familiar to anybody in fostering and adoption, and particularly who's doing the caring end of it, you know, when, when a type of contact is being persisted with by a court or social services that you're saying, this is damaging this child. Can nobody see that? You know, yeah. and you do, and you get persecuted for doing the things that the system seemed to want to do in the first place, which was claim the child, you know, treat them like your own. Well, if it was my own child, we wouldn't be turning up twice a week to that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And if it was my own child, somebody would be saying something about that and doing something about that and not saying, oh, well, I can't do anything because the court's making me do it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? So, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but it raises what you're talking about there is interesting because I am conscious that we are two adoptive parents talking mm. about adoption. And that, that, mm. is, that is just historic repetition of exactly mm -hmm. how adoption's always gone. Um, and you mentioned before we turned the press record, you talked about, you know, you'd, you'd seen something on Twitter where I'd sort of said you were coming on. And we, on our Facebook page, on the on the podcast Facebook page, we have a closed group that's kind of, you not know, everyone's welcome, but we kind of, we sort of safeguard it a little bit just so mm -hmm. it doesn't turn into a bun fight. Though it does occasionally turn into a bun fight. Um, but, you know, it's sort of a safe bun fight. Um, yeah. Soft buns. Um, yes. <laughs> no, no hard glazing. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, uh, no crusty rolls, just soft yeah, buns. No currants. Um, <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and we often will sort of say what we're going to, oh, we're talking to this person. Anyone got any questions, any thoughts? And um, mm. we asked about yourself and referenced mm. the chapter in the book and stuff. And I have to say, it's probably been the most most talked about post we've had because in for a long time if ever um and one of the, some of the key things were obviously people adoptive parents felt really passionate but there was some adoptive voices on there mm. and they raised some really interesting points in terms of well the question i put was the question you put if adoption is the answer what is the question mm. and that's the title of your chapter and that's kind of mm. the theme that runs through it and um, one of the adoptee sort of questions was as an adoptee, adult adoptee speaking, saying, when do I get a say? When do I get mm. a say in terms of my permanence, my mm. story, my choice in terms of, do I want to remain attached to these people that I was grafted into against my will? Mm. Um, mm. And mm. that seems, and I, well, I'm, it's not a question, it's just thoughts. And I was thinking about, it feels like society is, is ahead of the system right now mm. in that i think that if you you people are rightly outraged by some of the practices of adoption mm. and and quite when people understand adoption they kind of go oh is really is that a good thing contemporary adoption so are we in a position where which reflects back to the review did the review miss a trick when it could have said hang on 
what is permanence? What does permanence look like? What oh, is a model of permanence? Yeah, well, I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's the biggie. I mean, I, I didn't get asked to write the permanence chapter. I, I tell you what I would uh, really, and I know you've had Paul on. Have you had John on as well already? Or uh, No, it's just you and, it, you and Paul, but we'll, we're open to anyone coming on, yeah. Uh, um, well, uh, I mean, my, my chapter sits in between Paul Shuttleworth, which is focused on kinship and it is yep. absolute i again would encourage anybody to read that chapter in fact Fantastic. i think quite honestly anybody who's working in fostering and adoption and uh, looked after children uh, it's it's you know it's unseemly to recommend my own chapter but really should read those three together because yeah. that, and then what john has to say about fostering and residential care and again it was interesting when we uh you know, when Christian and, and Robin were kind of putting the book together, you know, they were obviously trying to make sure there wasn't repetition in the content because we were obviously writing separately. Yeah. And actually they asked us if the three of us would maybe link in with each other. And we had a Zoom call and um, uh, and we only needed one call. We didn't need to keep checking in because we realized that, yeah, we were kind of close, you know, but actually we weren't going to cover exactly the same area and it was useful. And I think that helped probably locate the three of us and stay clear of each other and, I, and again you got to you got to give credit to uh, uh christian and robin as editors because they they saw all the content as went along and i think they they've managed to shape it into something that doesn't feel all like i've just read that in the previous chapter yet yeah. you can see the in exactly what you've asked me about which is permanence you can actually see the the, the pattern running through that and and what is it what does it look like? Um, because again, an uncomfortable area we don't talk about is, well, what if what if permanence is actually residential care for this young person? And it's, they're now 14 and they're going to be in residential care until they're 18. Is that is that permanence in the way we mean it? Um, you know, or are we going to do the McAllister fig leaf here again and say, let's find two key adults for them, and make sure that that uh, that that's all going to be tickety boo for the rest of their life. You know, simples. You know, no worries. I'll magic that up for you. you know? um, yeah, I think you're right. You can't have that conversation in isolation. Then, can you? You can't. You can't separate. Children aren't. Have we got a system that's sort of trying to squeeze? square pegs into round holes of this child is four and they will never return home therefore it's adoption yeah oh, no child... absolutely absolutely they are because i mean again look i live in a jurisdiction where there is um culturally and within the system here and particularly on the statutory side uh there is a there's a long-standing reluctance to look upon long-term fostering as a permanent option yes um, Definitely, and, and and even more so where that's involving long term fostering through a, an outside agency. Um, does that reflect know. research though that said that actually there is long term fostering is quite rare? I mean, you you work in a probably a very bespoke. Well, I, specific... I don't know. Is it? I mean, that this is this is you know. Um, I I think there's a lot. Well, I'm I'm I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I think <laughs> our service is different. Um, you know, I, I mean, I in terms of like, if we can use the stability word. Um, two thirds of the children with us have been with us for more than two years, um, and I have, you know, and most of our, you know, children coming to live with us end up probably staying long term. We have a very low, um, you know, low breakdown rate. But so that's it's not like typical, a is it? It's not, but that's also no. because you know um, the system's running in a, in a particular way. Um, and some of those breakdowns might be avoidable if you put the right 
resources in and providing a level of support, both financial and social work and other services that would, would sustain it. And you match better. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that the, for the vast majority of children, that, that model of permanence with a, you know, with foster family is, is great. And if it can work, but there's so many moving parts that it only takes one that it feels like there's the, it's not permanent unless there's an order there. It can be, it can, it feels very um, fragile. Constantly, that's the danger of adoption, isn't it? And it's the, it's the, and the, it's 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 the magical thinking that I see in colleagues around. Oh, you know, we've got a yeah. care order now, so tickety boo, we're sorted out. You know, we've got an adoption order now. Oh, that's permanent. That's it done. Yeah, it's not. It's not. And also, it's really it's really awkward because again, when I went into write the chapter, I thought, you know, and I nearly wrote it in that way, you know all these statements are true at the same time and this is what makes it complex so you know and i do want you know it is right there are there are adoptees who are in in pain and angry and we need to hear that and things have been done wrong and things may well will probably still be done done wrong and that yeah. needs to be recognized and you know any conversation about adoption needs to involve adoptees saying what do you think would work for me and it also needs to take account that there's diversity of adoptee voice in the same way that there's diversity of adoptive yeah. voice, you know, you you and I may be on, you know, in a thought bubble <laughs> here, but you know, ours isn't isn't the own only view in that. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. absolutely, and I, I um, like you said that the internet's not a great place to find out what's really going on because you do get you get an extreme of view don't you You get a, a certain type of adopter you get a certain type of adoptee you get a certain type of birth parent they're not necessarily yeah. representative of the whole community they may be representative of a a passionate corner of yeah. that community um so i suppose i was thinking i was just thinking about uh, again like um and it's in, in certainly in my own practice experience over years, you know, is the children who are placed with foster carers. And it maybe does, it starts out as, as again, as to start as short term and end up long term. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but, you know, you've had children who are saying, you know, the, the plan then is long term fostering, but they're saying, I'd like you to adopt me. Why can't you adopt me? You know, yeah. in a sense, what are they saying to you? You know, they're saying, and I suppose they want that kind of reassurance that this is permanent in a way and i suppose again that's what i was playing around with and i'm not saying i've got an answer but i think there's a, a useful discussion to be continued to have about how do, how do the legal bits of it underpin the permanence because one of the reasons and i've had it in the last year you've got social workers saying well we need adoption because adoption is necessarily the right thing for the child but the key thing is it protects about anybody coming back and unraveling this legally so we bring all the weight of that, you know, the baggage that comes with adoption really to achieve that end, which is, you know, to unpick that, you might say, well, if the legal reassurance is the thing, is the is the is the way the law is shaped right? And should we have a more of a graduated kind of, you know, edging up to more and more, you know, the way you get delegated authority and then maybe you get more on top yeah. of that. And then maybe you say, and this is where again we're stuck in our kind of Judeo-Christian legacy on this, you know, in the West, you know, do well, I was picking up sort of in, in Islamic culture, there's more of a concept of, of wardship. And that kind of took me back again to 
many years ago when I started practicing and wardship still existed. And I was, you know, I was a, a child's guardian in, in wardship as a social worker. And all those things that were there and sort of the, you know, that great phrase, the inherent powers of the high court, which basically means the judge got quite a lot of latitude to say, you can't do this and you can do this and stop that and and those mm -hmm. kinds of things. And that was supposed to drop into the Children Act and the Children Order for us in terms of the Article 8s. And, but in a way, they've got quite codified and quite rigid. And and even though, again, the way, you know, yeah, we've freed things up with placement orders to speed up adoption, but the whole thing is still quite, you know, it's particular steps and that's it. And, and yeah. again, so where where is the voice of the, the child in that and the thoughts of the child and everybody else and how that might shift over time? Um, and again, that question that the adult might ask, the, I was used to the adult looked to you saying, well, when did I get to decide? Well, maybe that actually might have been a lot clearer that that's where the the child was at that time and it was less of a thing that was kind of done onto them. But everybody was, you know, if the decision is very clear that there is no way in anybody's consideration these children should be going back to birth parents or to a birth family in the broader sense, you know, and this is what we've invested in, then that's the decision, you know, and, and that and somehow that's honored, you know. And it doesn't preclude other movement, but equally it doesn't leave you with this kind of this jeopardy of uncertainty. Um which we can all kind of know isn't good either, you know, and yeah, because it, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of as, I guess my, all that I do is informed by my experience with my children. Oh mm. well, not and also my and also my academic links. I've got these probably like you. I've got these two. I've got these very two different positions. One is someone who's kind of read a lot of books and thinks sort of theoretically about this. Then I've got my role as a dad. Mm. Um, and the sort of the two sometimes feel not in conflict, but they one is head, one is heart. Um, mm. And I know that there's, especially when my children were younger, that that their need to be claimed mm. and belong was was profound. And mm. they they expressed that quite profoundly. As they've got older, that's not necessarily as a bigger part of what they need from me. You know, when when they were three, they wanted me to be daddy, and they wanted to be part of us and you know belong. And mm. um, when they're thirteen, and I guess that 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 tracks child development, doesn't it? That when they're thirteen, they're starting to to pair off, and it, it's quite clear. Um, but, but when it, you're in, and what other no people? No, and what other people who maybe aren't the doctors need need to hear and understand is, and and particularly professional colleagues who are not the doctors and haven't done it. Um, you know, that always comes with the extra bit. Even even when your child, I think, is on on a normal developmental track, you know, and there's not other, because often, yeah. again, the other thing, our, our children are overrepresented with levels of disabilities and that, that push them off normal milestones anyway. Yeah. Even if you're... Uh, even if your child, adoptive child, is following on a sort of a fairly normative, um, emotional, social psychological puberty developmental profile that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's difficult for you and you've got the rejection and you know forming identity and all that but every stage and even the toddler ones they always come with more yeah there's, there's, because of because of what they're bringing with them 
you know, and it doesn't matter if you had them from two weeks old or you got them at five, you know, there will be things coming with them, you know, and it is to do with trauma. It is to do with early life experience. It is to, you know, it is around how, you know, that there was that kind of breach and that severance that, you know, our, our psychoanalytic psychodynamic colleagues will talk about, you know, primary wounds and, you know, that, yeah. you know, and you can't, and it, it is in there. And um, so it is different, it is different. It's like different, but the same. It's like when you're sitting with your colleagues and you're talking about your kids and you're going, kind of, and if you start, you start talking about yourself, oh, that's okay, that's normal. You say, yeah, but I, there's another, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I live the other edge of that. isn't you know? it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, and the kids know too. You know, they do know themselves. They work it out. You know, um, yeah. Sometimes yeah. afterwards, you know, but you know, it's um, it's there. Um, it is different. And again, that's where you know, I think that's where, and that's that is the tragedy of adoption. So, um, you, you when you're doing that with long-term fostering, you're kind of doing very similar things. Um, it hasn't got the baggage of necessary where you've entirely taken, you're taking all the flack for now being the parent you know uh, and taking all, all that stuff but you know i'm doing that or my colleagues in my t in my service are doing that with foster carers and they're around still yeah you know whereas you know you know if you if your child has arrived when they're one two three and now you're 14 you know who's around for you adoption uk yeah alcoats Al Al online you know <laughs> really handy good. advice tips you know i mean it's like and that's it's a desert it is a real desert and then when you start to get into real diffs um you go you know you have i always said it's like you had to go through the front door again yeah and i'm thinking but you know us and you know him you know he wants to belong to even you. though you're pretending you don't <laughs> know him you know you're you you use the word skin in the game you have skin in this game even though you seem to have vacated the pitch do you know yeah yeah i mean and i think that there was an interesting part in your book when your chap one of your sort of subheadings was you know um what is adopted adoption doing well what is it not doing well um oh, the, the good the bad and the something else wasn't it <laughs> yeah yeah um and i thought <laughs> I find this really fascinating because it, it's like you said, we're to we're speaking totally from an adopter mm. perspective, um, and I and I think that we're not necessarily representative either, are we? We're quite peculiar in the sense of our we both work in fostering, we both mm. are adopters, and we're both social workers who've involved mm. in Basra, you know, separated at birth. Yeah, um, the Irish is a blessing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, but, but so the odd thing is that when, how representative are we of adopters? Well, I don't think that's, I'm not proposing to be a representative of adopters. I'm, I'm, and, you know, it's the perspective I've had. I, I will say something, this is a broader social work point, and, I, and I've said it often in Basra, um, you know, and there's a lot of moves in Basra to, um, you know, become more, get service users more involved in, in the association and more connection and, and, mm. and kind of, but also in, this is true, people who work in social services as well, but, um, you know, a lot of us are service users. Yeah. In different guises. You know, I, I actually, I'm, I am also a, a, a service user of adult social services as well for elderly relatives. Um, right. And have been. 
you know, so we all we all touch with our own profession and the wider health and social care family. So we do have that perspective. I know it's yeah. and, you know, and it is different because you have all um, you know. Uh, you and I can do our privileged checklist of you know our 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 sex and our race and yeah. you know our, our income and our education and blah 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 and that those things are all true but there's there is a reality to the experience i have and i am very always very conscious of um the pri the privilege of the position of perspective that i have that i am able to see into both worlds and if um it's made me a better social worker un undoubtedly um yeah yeah. You know, and I, and I think, and I think that's, um, but that's maybe peculiar to, to me also about the way I think about social work, because I think it is about, um, if you're doing it well, you're harnessing all of your life experience, not to impose it on others, but to, to take everything you've got and, and integrate it into the way you practice and the way you think and to, to help you understand and help you deal with the next thing better because you, you've got that uh, that accumulation so and it, and it is you know you do have to do that thing where you have to st you have to stop like when you're you saying it's even this interview which hat have i got on when i'm speaking to you but you know kind of to say i am um in this interaction i'm look i i'm 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 an adoptive parent and you know um you know, I, I could be very understanding as a professional. I understand the resource constraints you're under and, you know, I understand the system is the system, but this is what we need. Um, uh, yeah. We had, support, we, we had support from a psychologist at, at well, several points um, and um, several, a couple of very good psychologists, I have to say. And um, we were in kind of, you know, at a point where we was, talking to him and I, you know, I was sort of saying, you know, what I thought we, we needed. And I said, like, I'm all, all you know, I was going on, like, I'm almost embarrassed to be asking for, you know, maybe I'm asking for too much. And he just said, you're only asking for what's needed. And I thought, thank you. Thank you very much. Do you know? And yeah. I, I actually, uh, I must tell him because I, I, I use that line all the time um, because it's right. You know, you're listening to people and saying, you know, and thinking, oh, maybe maybe it's, you know, it's, uh, it's too much to ask for. Maybe I'm making too much for it and saying, no, no, actually, you are only asking for what this, what the child needs or, or what you need or what all of you need. And we're, we're just not very good at like providing it. Or um, yeah, or, or or recording that it's unmet need. There's a thirty-year bugbear for me in social work. Um, you know, let's let's assess, but you know, let's not um, let's not mention the things that we can't actually do. You know, that are actually well, I mean, needed. That's, that's the heart of the adoption and support act, isn't it? That you know, we're, you've got a right to be assessed, but no right to meet whatever yeah, is no, found. I love yet. that. I love that. Or oh, was it was it the lads having in the book call it the double shuffle? That is that is double shuffle. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, you've got a statutory right to an assessment. Thank you. At last, um, yeah. or you, but you can't have any of it. All right. Yeah. Okay. That's a kick yeah. in the pants. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, I, we could go round round because what was interesting in watching the comments come in, there was lots of people with different mm. perspectives, and I think the, the probably the most profound was the the view of the the doctor who was sort of saying, you know, I'd 
do I get a choice? But in the midst, but interestingly, that adoptee was also an adopter. So that's mm. complicated. But yeah. Mm. So, so, you know, there's not what, like that's you said, a voice, very that's a, my first response is that that's a voice I really want to hear. Yes. And those voices are out there, aren't they? But yeah. often, yeah, I mean, we, we could open up the can of worms, which is the adoptee Twitter and kind of some of the, the factions that, how they interact, but hey, come work in the voluntary sector. I'll tell you factions. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like a bun fight out there. But yeah. some of the voices of some people were. I, I sort of personally, I flip between thinking, yes, we could, there's some tropes that we can run out in terms of yeah, well, of course, when we've explored all other avenues in terms of kinship arrangements, when we when children are incredibly young, when we know that children will never be able to return home to the family, and that we've exhausted every you know every member of the family or their you know, for whatever reason they can't meet that need, then adoption is the only option. But that still doesn't is that good enough? Because that's where in in ideal terms that's where we're at now, isn't it? That we should be able to do that. But it feels like it's is that happening? What is the evolution of adoption or is, does adoption need to be sort of a stake through the heart and something new built? I, I, I don't know is the answer. I kind of, I kind of know what we're doing isn't quite right. You were meant right. to know, Avery. No, That's no, I, know. We got I, didn't, you on. I, I didn't come in as, uh, that was the whole purpose of the thing was to, for exactly the reasons you've highlighted. There are so many voices and, um, and I don't, so it was what you said about sort of the disappointment, you know, I pointed out your disappointment with the McAllister review on this. You kind of went, oh, I missed the fact that they didn't talk about adoption at all. You know, in a sense, this wasn't, you know, there's there's another missed opportunity. It was an opportunity to start a much bigger conversation. Um, in, in Like in a lot of areas where, the, where it's been criticized saying, look, uh, there was lots of really good existing work out there that you could have used as a jump off point and amplified. Yeah. So, hey, Bridge and Anna, not just because I like them, but that was a really good piece of work. And it would have yes. actually been a, you know, if the government had actually taken some ownership of what Basel had done, they'd have had the weight to put behind it. And then if you'd actually talked to people who knew something about something, then you'd have you'd have had a conversation that involved adoptees, adopters, people working in the field, and and start to say, you know, so and maybe ask this question, is, is adoption fit for purpose? What is permanence in this? What, what role do these, you know, when, and, and it's that, it's that moving target, you know, the children who can't be cared for by parents or for a period of time, um, that's one thing and they might return. And again, Paul's chapter is so important because it's kind of, it goes after exploding myths about kinship. You know, because it's yeah. almost again, it's almost yeah. like the shibboleth here is that, uh, well, you know, and of course we're all going to agree to, you know, children should stay with their family of origin where possible. And if there's a, the common sense position is that, you know, a kinship arrangement is is a good idea. But we also know those of us who work in the field, you know, you know, you know that there are a lot of families that that's not the right thing for those children. And yes. again, you know, I think. Again, when I was being trained in the in the children order, and 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 also when it came, I think sort of later on when there was kind of like a court review of how we do this, you know, it was kind of saying, you know, you're supposed to be coming to court not with like one option, 
you know, but to say, to look at all the options and to work out what is the best one at, for this this particular child at this point, rather than have dogmatic positions that it's always, this is always the best, you know, which, you know, that was why when you moved towards saying adoption is a gold standard, it was the most wrong thing to do. And I suppose Paul's piece is a bit of a, a, a riposte in the other direction as well, which is saying, yeah, and, you know, and there was where the dangers in the McAllister review lie around kinship, you know, is kind of almost saying, ah, kinship's the gold standard. That's what we should follow. Yeah. And you get somebody like John comes along, and I know, it, like, look, in Northern Ireland, we have suffered from uh, dogma around residential care that has left us light and also yeah. hasn't left, it hasn't left us then investing in the residential care to become the residential care that it should be. And for some, it's like all these things are true. So at some points, residential care is the absolutely right thing for some children and they will flourish in it and benefit from it if it's the right provision. And yeah. some of them, it will be the thing that gets them back home. Some of it will be the thing that gets them then into a, a foster family or a kinship place, whatever that is. For some of them, actually, residential may be the best thing until the, until they're eighteen, and that you know, and then that mm. raises a whole load of other questions, which which also cross over into um, you know the whole uh, let's get everybody ready for independence at eighteen, and you know. Um, and again, wave goodbye to the you know to the young people because um, I, I also work in like the sixteen plus space around housing or non housing as I like to call it. Um, and you know you kind of see that it's that uh, it's sorry it's it's just like I'm I'm very cynical at the moment. I just think you know we we do a lot of we a lot of talk about caring about things and actually all the evidence is that society we don't care. Because if we did care, you know, the, the you know the young people um, that are in the supported accommodation service I manage, and the floating support service we have also in our in our services here, those children, young people, wouldn't be in the state they're in, you know, mm. and they'd have a lot more options in terms of where to live, um, types of support, access to mental health support, access to drug and alcohol services. Um, you know, uh, the evidence is we don't care. Yeah, and we're not, and I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, full stop. Um, when you're talking about residential care, you made me, re the sort of the questions you're asking about what children need and what, whether that would work for certain children. And and I think that, it, does it, drawing us back to adoption, is it that perhaps the criteria for putting children into adoption is actually too narrow, is that we are too broad? probably too broad is the right way, in the sense that we look at age of child and current circumstances of family. I think it's and both, both, I think it's both those things. And I just think it's um, distorted thinking. Because I was, I was wondering, as you were talking, I was thinking, I, I know children, some children who've been adopted, even very, very young children who actually, they never wanted, they never wanted mm. replacement parents. They wanted they needed they they wanted adults in their life that would look after them, mm -hmm. but they didn't want a new mum mm -hmm. and they didn't want a new dad. And mm -hmm. the nature of their biological family was that that severance from it was probably not helpful, but yeah. they needed somewhere permanent, you know, with a real sort of a uh, mm -hmm. and the, <sighs> and that's where a long term fostering can you know I I don't I mean yeah. in a in a way I want I what I wonder is if the model is that children come into fostering. And and that 
then that may have a number of legal over time you find what the like kind of like the right legal frame for that is and maybe that is adoption there are there are some children who maybe um but again like I mean, our adoption numbers here are very small and they've been on they've been falling off in england and that's maybe because the the final insight is actually that really clear cut this child immediately adoption is the right answer is is not a solution you can arrive at quickly with with confidence and maybe mm. nor should you um i suppose yeah. the other bit i was troubled and i think we're all troubled by is the legal fiction it creates you know of uh, around identity and birth certificates and, and all that kind of stuff and again that's why i kind of and I, not like supposed to be an expert but I, it kind of left me questions well what are these other models in other countries like around giving you know does do you have a form of wardship that gives the same legal certainty without all that kind of fiction baggage and which again i think you touched on earlier you know that what's here for us culturally and socially going back well certainly a hundred odd years of of doing it this way and then it it also and i was trying to say in the article taps into other kind of narratives which are you know rescuing orphans and you know dickens foundlings and um which then crosses over into romanian orphanages and you know all that kind of that's swirling around in people's heads and what they think yeah. that what they think they're doing um as opposed to what is kind of what is the right thing to be doing yeah and, and the, so the other thing it happens to me as well and i suppose yeah you know um we are still even with the children we're, we're bringing into care without um and, and moving around in placements never minding to move to adoption just uh, children arrive with us who have been in care and we still know precious little about them and you actually yeah. when you do get them into a more stable and a better matched um, situation and where those carers have got better support both financial and emotional practical um you start to discover things about who these who these children are which only then can you say you know the kind of thing you've posed is is adoption right for this child or is you know or what level of contact really is possible here and with who and uh, again that's I, again i think the system's got it's got too many points in it which it feels quite target focused so you're you're so you know getting that care order is the milestone boom job done you know getting what's the permanence plan boom, it's done you know and, and then adoption is the final one and um I, I don't like to talk about my son's experience, right? Because it's his experience, but it was a shared experience. And it was, it was that thing when you got the adoption order and we got it caught and he went, so we've had the big day and we went up and we'd gone up to prepare, prepare. We'd gone up and looked at court at that. And, and the judge chose to actually do it in the courtroom rather than in chambers, which I don't know why he decided to do that. Um, and it was, it was like two minutes, you know, and my son went, was that it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought, son, I'm afraid it is, you know. But we went and had a nice dinner, you know. Yeah, um, you know, it, it it feels like that adoption is is sort of narrowing down. I think it, effectively, adoption is going to narrow down to almost like a niche order mm. for such a minority of children, and that feels probably right. Um, again, the, the comments that we saw, a lot of people sort of, I know I've got friends who've sort of swung from adoptions terrible to adoptions great. 
and sort of settled somewhere between sort of comfortable in this murky area going, well, actually my children will ultimately make the vote with their feet. Yeah. The only problem with that, the only problem with that, and the thing that needs to be front and center in that discussion is, um, and it is around power and mm. it's around, and it's around power in parenting and meaningful parental responsibility because, um, and this, this is, this is the thing the agencies have to, and the profession have to face up to. There's a real, there's a real lack of partnership working here. And cause uh, um, it, it's been the drift into child protection mindsets in everything we do as well. So, you know, um, right, you can only have this freedom to parent properly if you're adopted, which the cost of that is we wave goodbye to you and you get no financial support. You know, the yeah. flip side is you stay in, you know, and I think that's, you know, for a lot of adopters and foster carers will recognize that problem then. And I think I touched on it again in the, in the book, you know, is kind of saying, you know, very conscious sometimes when you're training joint groups of foster carers and adopters and the the ability adopters had to say, no, I'm sorry, we're not doing that. Yeah. You know, whereas foster carers were kind of corralled and harassed and, you know, forced to continue with things that clearly weren't working, were in kind of moral distress over over things you know that they knew were wrong for the child you know a child that they maybe had for five years and a social worker's arrived two months ago with a perspective that says this is you know and you do feel yeah. that flexing of power and you know and it's like well if if we're providing the services then then we need to have some control and at some point somebody needs to call that out and somebody needs to get over themselves or, really... or a poor quality social worker coming in seven years in and with a new broom and a new idea and yeah acting inappropriately but that is really stark isn't it because i think that that you just summed up something really quite well it's that's the reality is that the freedom to act as it without authority and that kind of that agency as a parent comes at a cost of actually there is no support no guaranteed support. Well, look, it's it's a problem. It's a problem you have in long term fostering cases where you know it's it's double it's double thing. So you, in a sense, the agency is saying to you, "We want you to parent." You know, go on with the parenting, but we're going to tell you how to do it. You know, yeah. or and you've got or to you go first. or you go to parent in a way that you might think is a reasonable way to parent, and somebody says, "Oh, I don't agree with that," and I, you know, I think you shouldn't shouldn't do it that way, and you yeah. know, and but also, I mean, those are about. So we've just come out of a. Uh, we were very blessed to have the magnificent Ray Jones do our independent review of children's social services uh-huh. and, and a very different experience it was. Um, but I mean, he's, he, yeah, I think he certainly named the problem we've had here, which is we have drifted over <clears throat> the last 15 years or maybe more into being a child protection system. And it, and it, um, it infects everything we do every even we try to do partnership models uh, and stuff like that we still end up in a kind of this kind of power this power mindset and kind of control and risk yeah. and and this is the problem um um i used to so i, I do end on a couple of uh, biblical quotes but the, the thing that always reminded me is that phrase you know i asked you asked you for bread you gave me a stone you know it's kind of that's what it felt like you know, and and that's what it feels like. Doctors and foster carers have that experience, and they go in looking for what is essentially family support, and they get child protection. 
and that's not good. And, and we're not yeah. really having an honest conversation about that on any level. Yeah, and I think that is probably one of the biggest issues that I face. People contacting me on a personal level saying, "I, this has got out of hand really quick. You know, we were struggling, and yeah. now we've got a child protection social worker who's probably comes with limited knowledge of, of the nuances of adoption. Yeah, and then we're in, who's probably got that mindset of happily ever after, and comes and goes, "Why the hell is this not a happily ever after?" Why, why aren't you playing rainbows and unicorns? Why, what's, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Um, well, and, oh, and, the and it says, well, actually we are making progress because all this stuff's coming out. Yeah. A distressed child. <laughs> Do you know, it's like, but I mean, I, I know yeah. it's relatively simple to those of us who've walked to the path, but, um, but that path is very, very hard at the time. Even when, even when your head knows what's going on. You need really good people around you. Absolutely. Really, really good people. Yeah. So, so in conclusion, um, there is no conclusion. Um, I think that it, we've sort of, we talked for an hour and I, in some ways we've sort of just thrown it all in the air, but raised some really interesting points. And uh, I guess well, that, that, final... that's a good, that's a good reflection of, to be fair, that's a very good reflection of the chapter. And what it was designed to do as well was to say, look, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I've got some thoughts and I've, and I've got some thoughts for yeah. a bigger conversation. I don't think one person could, could get there on, on their own at all. It, I mean, again, it was like when you, it's one of those pieces of things I started to look more and that's how I ended up down the historical route. And it just left me thinking, well, it's either a PhD for me or somebody else, you know, yeah, it would be really, but that, that I think that, genuinely cross-cultural look and, and, a, and a historical perspective would be really useful because I think it would be a very useful corrective for our own thinking and our own assumptions about what's possible and what's not possible while also acknowledging our starting point. Yeah, because it's evolved. We've, we're in an evolution and, and that makes sense of where we are here. And it all, But does that also give us hope? That was my last question, really. Are you optimistic? Are you hopeful? Is, are we going to evolve better? I hope so. But sorry, I mean, uh, that, sorry, you've got to understand where I'm working at the moment. I mean, the system is very broken at the moment. It's very um, broken. I mean, know. I'm in that system as well. Yeah, well you know, I, I don't know what it's like where you are, but I mean, it's, um, as I said today, you know, you don't like to use that. It's that kind of cliche of, I've never known it this bad, but really, really, really. It's, um, I'm 30 years qualified this year. And uh, I mean, yeah, I've lived through bad stuff and it's never been perfect, but this is, this is really bad. So I, you know, I, I don't even know where people have their headspace to do this stuff, which again, takes you back to the, the nonsense of the McAllister review, you know, in terms of the way it was set up, that in that time frame, it was somehow going to be able to deal with all of this. You know, what, what we have discussed is the work of one, Alone is probably the work of one good solid review. Well, yeah, you know, and from look one at permanence and care, you know, not yeah. not family support, not early years, not youth services, you know, just to get to get a real grip on that would be, you know, that would be the work of really solid study. And you would do things like you would say, let's get somebody, you know, really good in and get them to have a do a bit of a cross-cultural study for us, you know. Let's have um you know, some really proper conversations across these groups. Let's have some real encounter. 
you know? Yeah. And that, yeah, absolutely. And it feels like the voices of people who've lived through these, who've been, who've had services done to them, have had court orders laid upon them. It feels like those voices are the voices we need to really be taking a lead from. And it just doesn't feel like that. McAllister view didn't feel like that at all, did it? No. Um, well, I don't know where the adoptee voice was in there. That's for sure. Uh, just not present. I mean, like, like this conversation. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I hope, you know, look, I hope, uh, um, I hope if any adoptees are listening to this, you know, that, that it, it may be, I would hope it would feel different, you know, because I think, um, you know, they need to be given space to speak for themselves and not me speak on their behalf. So I kind of, I suppose, well, it's kind of a privacy thing that I wouldn't do that to my son, but also kind of it's his, it's his experience yeah. to, to speak about. Um, yeah. Um, um, I am informed by his experience, what he tells me about his experience, <laughs> you know, and I listen closely to that. Like a but, good parent. You know, like any, yeah, like a, like a half-decent person would do, um, you know, but yeah, I think, um, but I mean, it's also, you know, I, it's, I also think it's wrong. You can't totally invalidate this conversation. And it is actually just interesting the way it's worked out that the, the two of us with kind of so similar um that that's well that's interesting to me if it's interesting to nobody else because it kind of it kind of thinks yeah you know i'm also not completely off my head here in some ways and um you know i think in each other we can hear the things that we both navigated and and that is about trying to be respectful to all those pieces and not say oh this is my experience as an adopter and that's the experience of the world well that's just not the way it works you know um and I, and again, I think that's that's the pity, because I think um, Brigitte did some really interesting work and some really good starting work, and more investment in that could have expanded the conversation. So exactly, yeah. adopters and adoptees and adoptees from lots of different experiences and lots of different points in time could be heard, and that would be really valuable. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I don't apologise necessarily for having my voice on my podcast I feel. <laughs> um, in the sense that uh which sounds slightly slightly obtuse but uh, we've never pretended to be anything we're not and no. uh in the sense no. that we were always quite i was always quite reluctant to have adopted people on because i thought i don't want to curate people adopted people's voices I, I don't want to be the person i don't want to be the gatekeeper to adopted people adopted people are you know setting up podcast costs you could do it for 20 quid hmm. so I, i've never but because there's a kind of a vacuum, we've invited adopted voices, on, adopted people's voices on. So it's, yeah, that we're into a different kettle of fish all about, you know, it's all about me again. Um, so I, I'm, but that, yeah, I'm sure we will be back to this conversation. And maybe now is the time to lobby the Labour government and say, hey. Oh, there's, uh, did you ask me about being hopeful again? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the Green Party. Uh, <laughs> yeah no we're gonna I'll just uh, and i mean this is one of these curious things that we sort of finally virtually met like this you know but i mean i think you know and i've watched what you guys have been doing and it's very valuable and i think you know it has created space for conversations and you know and again i think it's in the chapter you know that go on social media it creates lots of heat you know but that's in some ways some of that's not bad because some some of that needed to be needed to be heard and you know it needed to, absolutely you know you need to you need to honor the the pain that's there as well as the um and and the views because they come from something yeah. 
I think from from my point of view, I think that, that it's been invaluable. I mean, the, the worst excesses of those voices, I'm not interested in being called names, but there's an awful lot of voices in there that have articulated a perspective that I'd not necessarily appreciate. Yeah. And yeah. it's changed my perspective. And I think that that would be true. And Scott would probably say the same. And a lot of my, a lot of adoptive adopted adopters, sorry, um, that I know would probably express that as well. Anyway, I'm aware that we've gone way over time and I can, I can hear my grandchildren screaming behind me. Um, it's excellent. that time of night. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so Avery, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate no, it. I'll encourage pleasure. Thank you. No, and, it, and and do, we will have you back. And, and do read the others in there because it's really good. It's really, really good. It's an easy read as well. So that's good. Yeah, it is actually. I think everybody's very accessible. Um, yeah. But again, it's uh, some of the stuff in there for anybody who wants more, there's very rich resource material in there for further reading. So, yeah. Perfect. And um, we will link to your your Twitter profile so people can come on and tell you how wrong you are. Um, I look for, I look for, I look forward to that. You're kind of springing your step as you open up your, um, yeah. <laughs> your social media, formerly known as as Twitter. Yeah. Um, excellent. Well, thank you very much and look after yourself. Thanks. And regards to Scott when you eventually see him. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>